One of the, the big news stories this, uh, of last year was this guy here, Elon Musk, him buying Twitter. Not just because of the on, off, on nature of that deal, nor the, the $44 million uh, price tag for it, nor even his entrance into the offices carrying a kitchen sink with his caption for that was entering Twitter HQ. Let that sink in. That was his joke. He thought it was funny. Uh, but also because of what he did within days of taking over. Musk fired top executives and then half of the company's employees days after that. And then he sent around an email to the remaining workers with an ultimatum to commit to being extremely hardcore, as he called it, or just leave the company. Basically, work long hours at high intensity or just don't come back to work. He's a nice guy, isn't he? Now, that kind of leadership may or may not be acceptable in the business world. I think a lot of people would say no. But what is really clear is that that kind of behaviour is not acceptable for Christian leadership. God does not appoint bosses to manage people that way in church. Instead, he appoints leaders to follow Christ's example of leadership. So this morning we're going to have another look at 1 Peter chapter 5. The reason for this is hopefully very soon we're going to see some developments in the leadership of our church. And I want us to make sure that we understand the biblical model of leadership, what the kind of leadership that we're talking about really is. So we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 4, and Lauren is going to come and she's going to read it for us now. Thank you. Okay, 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 1 to 4. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Thank you very much, Lorna. In this section, Peter was writing to leaders in various churches. But he used three words to describe them, if you were listening or if you can look at yourself in the the passage in the Bible. First of all, verse 1, he wrote to the elders among you. Now that was a common Jewish leadership term in the Jewish synagogues. It emphasised the maturity of those who were leading. 
And the New Testament church, they picked up that term and they used it to describe the men who were mature, not necessarily in age, but in terms of their relationship with Christ, who could lead in the local church. But these elders were also, verse 2, serving as overseers. Now that's the Greek word episkopos, which was used for those who took responsibility to watch over and guard a community. In some Bibles, maybe I don't know if in your Bible, it's translated bishop. Not an overseer, but a bishop. In our mind, that means that's a higher level of leadership, but not in the Bible here. It's the same level of leadership. Those who were elders were also called to be overseers or bishops. Don't be looking for anybody with a hat on in our church, okay? It's not going to happen. But the focus of what Peter taught here is that these men were also called to be shepherds. Or, the word we use in our church is pastors. That's from the Latin version of the word shepherd. And that image of shepherd was frequently used throughout the Bible to describe spiritual leadership. So, for example, King David. He was told, you shall shepherd my people Israel and you shall become their ruler. In 2 Samuel chapter 5. And then Ezekiel. He was a prophet in the Old Testament. And he was told to prophesy. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Not meaning those people who were looking after little fluffy white creatures. But those who were failing to properly care for the people of God. And it was to that role that Peter was called. Now you'll notice in verse 1 that Peter called himself a fellow elder. But when he was restored to his leadership role after denying Jesus, it was to the role of shepherd that he was called. Maybe you remember that every time that Peter was asked and he answered by telling Jesus how much he loved him, Jesus replied, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter was called to express his love for Jesus by leading God's people. By feeding them God's truth and watching over them with God's love. And here Peter calls these fellow elders, fellow overseers, to also do the same. To be shepherds of God's flock. That is under your care. So I think from this passage it's really clear. The term elder, or overseer, or bishop, or shepherd, or pastor, are all referring to the same person or the same role in a church. It's not not a hierarchy here. It's not a, a grading of leadership roles. It's all the same people. These words are just synonyms. They're way to, ways to express the same role, just in different words. They're different ways to, express, to describe the same person. 
So as a church, we use the term pastor, but we could equally, if we wanted, use the term elder or, or overseer or even bishop if we felt the need to, which we probably don't. But did you notice they're all in the plural version? They're all in the plural form. It's elders, overseers, shepherds. Now that's not just because Peter was writing to a number of different churches. It's also because there was usually more than one of those leaders in each church. When Paul, he visited, revisited the churches he'd planted, it says in Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. Not an elder, singular, but elders, plural. And and there's lots of other verses in the Bible that, that show that that's the case. Team leadership was the normal, was the usual practice for every local church. Why is that? Well, if you go way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God said to Adam, it's not good for the man to be alone. And of course, that, that was about marriage in particular, in that, in that instance. But it holds true for more than just marriage. It's in every aspect of our lives. We as human beings were made for community. We never thrive when we are isolated. We need other people. This is one of the reasons why I would really urge you to commit to being part of one of our small group Bible studies. We need other people to help us to grow in our relationship with Christ. Yes, you can go home and read your Bible yourself. Yes, you can listen to YouTube videos or you can, you can, you can try and, uh, and read books and, and all sorts of things. But you're never going to grow as much as if you get into, into a small group where you can connect with other people and you can let them speak into your life and you can speak into their lives. We all need other people. We need a community. It's also why we do ministry in teams. We need the support and encouragement and accountability of others. When Jesus sent out his disciples on their first mission trip, the twelve disciples, it says in Mark chapter 6, he sent them out two by two. Two by two. It wasn't just for Noah and the ark. You know, the animals went in two by two. It's also for the disciples. Because Jesus knew that if they were on their own, they would really struggle. They needed the encouragement of somebody else. They needed the balance. They needed to be able to complement each other. They needed to hold each other accountable. And that's the same with leadership. When, when this, this church started, when ECF started, there were two pastors. And God willing, we're, we're soon we're going to be able to get back to that style of leadership, to have a pastoral team, a team of pastors. In the next couple of weeks, I'm going to propose two guys that are going to join me, I hope, eh, as being pastors in our church. And I want you to give me your feedback about that proposal. I'm going to be, be informing you about who it is and letting you give some feedback on that. But clearly, 
The biblical model that we're aiming for is plural leadership. Not just one pastor, not just one leader, but a, a team working together, being accountable to each other, encouraging one another, complementing with each other so that we can grow together as a church. But this, this passage doesn't just define that role. Elder, overseer, pastor. It also tells us how that role should be fulfilled. In the Old Testament, it wasn't just kings or prophets or religious leaders who were seen as shepherds. They certainly had a crucial role in leading God's people, but they were simply seen as under-shepherds. That's because the ultimate protector and provider and guide for God's people was God himself. I'm sure most of you will know this beautiful psalm. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If we're looking for the shepherd of our souls, ultimately we need to look to God. And so Peter in our passage describes the churches as God's flock. Verse 2. These churches are not owned or defined by their leaders. Instead, these people belong to God. They are owned by Him. They are loved by Him. They are chosen by Him. They are bought with the precious blood of His Son. They are sealed by His Spirit. They are led by His truth. They are guarded by His power. Led by His will. And they are called to honour His name. But Peter, knowing this truth, he was also unafraid to to describe Jesus as the chief shepherd. Verse 4. How if this is God's flock, if he's the ultimate shepherd, how could you describe Jesus as the chief shepherd? Well, there's an obvious answer, isn't there? Because Jesus is fully God. He is the one who supplies our need. He is our creator and our sustainer. He watches over us. He holds us close to his heart. And he leads us gently with tenderness and care. Remember Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 10. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he is the ultimate shepherd of his people. So church leaders are not the chief shepherd. They are not the the lead. They're not the top. They're certainly not. They're called to be an under-shepherd. So they're called to live under the ultimate leadership of Jesus. They're called to submit to His leadership. Christ is the head of the church. But if that's true, then those who do lead as under-shepherds are called to be like the chief shepherd. They're called to lead like Jesus leads. And that's an incredibly high standard, isn't it? It's a standard that we will always fall short of. But that is our calling. That's the goal. That's what we're called to. And this also helps us to to know 
the kind of people that we should be looking for to recognize as leaders in our church. We should be looking for people who are displaying some of the characteristics of Jesus in their lives. This is what Paul said when he wrote to Timothy about the kind of men to appoint for this role. When he, when he wrote this, he didn't focus so much on what they were able to do, but he focused on their character. The kind of men they were. Were they following Jesus? Were they caring for other people like Jesus did? So he said things like this. You can maybe look at this later on in your own time in more detail. 1 Timothy chapter 3. The overseer, or we could write put an elder or pastor, must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife. Don't know why you would want more than one, but that's it. Temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well. He must have a good reputation with outsiders. It's a challenging list for me to read this morning. But did you notice, the only thing that it, was, that it focused in on in terms of ability was able to teach. Have an ability to, to teach others God's word in, in a whole lot, load of different Forms, not just up front, but also maybe one-to-one. But everything else is about the character. It's about how he lives his life. How he, what he does when he's not gathered together as church. That's what's important. That's what we should be looking for. So my hope is that you already see those Christ-like qualities in the men that I'm going to propose to become pastors with me. Not because these guys are perfect. Not because we should be putting them on a pedestal. Not at all. As you know, they're dirty, rotten sinners. But who are saved by God's grace. None of us are perfect. But these people are already seeking to honour Christ in their lives. They're trying to follow Him. They're trying to let Jesus be the Lord of their life. And they're trying to follow His example in their lives. But in case you're sitting here thinking, well that's all about other leaders, that's all about Andrew, maybe other people are going to be in that kind of role, and that gets me off the hook. Well, we, the reality is, isn't this what we all should be doing? Are we all called to follow Jesus? Is there anything in this list that we should say, oh no, that's not for me? It's okay for me not to be like that. Because if we're talking about leadership, we need to recognize that whatever our role is, each of us have an influence on other people. Maybe you could think of it in our families. As we live in our families, we have an influence on those that, that, that share our lives with us. Or at school. Or at college. Or in our workplace. Or in our neighbourhoods. Or just those who attend church with us. Whatever our, our official role is, people are going to be watching us. People are going to be influenced by us. 
People are going to be impacted by how we live our lives. People need our care and our guidance. And so whatever our role is in life, we are called to lead others like Jesus does. So what does that look like? What does it look like for us to follow Christ in our leadership, whether in the church or elsewhere? Well, Peter gives us a little snapshot of that. He gives us three pairs of commands. Each pair, they have a negative and a positive. So three pairs of commands, a negative and a positive, and then he finishes with an encouragement, a final encouragement for us. So let's have a look at that briefly this morning. First of all, he said that we should lead willingly. It mustn't be forced. Not because you must, verse 2. Leading out of a sense of obligation or a sense of duty is a disaster. Absolute disaster. Because the danger is that we'll start to see those people that we're leading as a burden or a problem that has been forced on us rather than seeing them as people who are precious in God's sight. People that we love and that we want to care for. And that will destroy our enthusiasm or it will corrupt our motives. It will poison our words. It will produce bitterness and resentment in our hearts. And it will also destroy the value of our service. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? That passage is always read at weddings for some reason. But it really is a very challenging passage about love, what real love is. Starts off, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I think we could paraphrase it and say, if I lead without love, I'm only an annoyance. I'm only somebody who's just going to get on people's nerves. And my, my ministry, my service is going to be worthless in God's sight. Leadership without love is without value. It's love that gives it value. And so we mustn't do it just because we're forced to, oh, this is what I have to do, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. God wants us as leaders to lead, not out of guilt or duty, not to try and earn God's favour, but rather out of eager obedience to God's call on our lives. Because we want to please God. Because we want to honour God. This is what Jesus did. As the good shepherd, Jesus laid down his life willingly for us. This is what we've remembered at communion time this morning. Jesus said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And why did he do that? Well, he did it in obedience to his father's call. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. 
So the first way we need to lead is willingly. Out of love for other people and love for God. Out of desire to obey Him and honour Him and fulfil the calling that He's placed in our lives. Secondly, Peter said we need to lead selflessly. Verse 2, not greedy for money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil in our lives. And it completely corrupts leadership. This is one of the problems of the leaders in the nation of Israel that Ezekiel was condemning. He said this, Ezekiel chapter 34, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who take care of themselves. You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. That's why God said he was going to remove them from their role. And unfortunately, there are many people who follow their example today, who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 6, you cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve both. It's impossible. You either love God or you love money. You can't love both. You have to choose. If making money is our motive in leadership, then we're not serving God, we're just serving ourselves. So instead, verse 2, we need to be eager to serve. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Leadership is about serving others, not serving ourselves. It's about giving, not getting. It needs to be motivated by grace, not greed. That's Christ-like leadership. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus calls us to follow his example in laying down our lives for the benefit of others. So we need to lead willingly. We need to lead selflessly. Thirdly, Peter said, we need to lead humbly. Christian leadership doesn't look like Elon Musk. Not lording it over those who are who, those entrusted to you. So another, uh, this was another problem of the, of the leaders that, that Ezekiel was condemning in his prophecy. He said, you have ruled them harshly and brutally. They thought their role gave them the right to boss people about. To domineer them, to bully them, to control them. But that was abuse of leadership. That wasn't Christ-like leadership. And so Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. 
And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Leading like Jesus is not about demanding our own way or our rights or our agenda. It's not about forcing our plans or our wants on other people. Rather, it's about being examples to the flock. It's about stepping up and doing what God wants you to do, following His commands, submitting to His Word, living by His Spirit, denying ourselves in the hope that others will follow our example. It's the opposite of the do what I say, not what I do mentality. Rather, it's about calling people to follow my example as I follow Christ. And that can be an incredibly costly thing. 1 Peter is a letter that was written to Christians who were suffering intense persecution. So leading by example for these leaders that Peter was writing to, was about those who are willing to step up and go out on f- at the front line. To suffer first, if needed. To lay down their lives, literally, for the sake of others. And that's what leadership, Christian, biblical leadership, should always look like to some extent. Because that's what Jesus did. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I've often said that if you want to find your leaders, find the people who are using the brush, or the mop, or put out the chairs, or who are emptying the bins. That's what leadership in the church should look like. Leading like Jesus is not comfortable or easy. It doesn't often feel good or pleasant. It is not a promotion to a position of privilege and prestige. That's not what we're thinking of doing with with these two guys who are going to join me in the leadership. This is not a promotion for them. There are not often immediate or tangible benefits for this. It's tough. It's sacrificial. It's supposed to be selfless. It's often unnoticed. It's often unappreciated. If you step up into leadership, you're going to put a target on your back for criticism. But Peter finished here. By encouraging us, whatever the role that we have in life, to lead joyfully. This is not supposed to be a pity party. Poor me, I'm called to be a leader. Not at all. Look what he says, verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Crowns, they were garlands given to to winners of athletic contests. They were usually made of leaves or or flowers. So they would quickly fade away. Next year there would be a new champion. And last year's successes would be forgotten. 
But the crown that Jesus, the chief shepherd, will give to those who faithfully under-shepherd his people will never fade away. Their service will not be forgotten. It will not be overlooked. It will be forever remembered and rewarded in Christ's kingdom. That's because of the value that he places on his people. He values them so much. He loves them so much that even the tiniest thing that we do for another believer, God sees and God values and he wants to reward in his kingdom to come. One of my favourite verses, Matthew 10, verse 42. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, he will certainly not lose his reward. Cup of cold water. Don't know what you get for a cup of coffee or tea. Sure, that's even harder. But that's how much God values what we do. Other people might think it's nothing or worthless or we're rubbish at it. But Jesus sees it. He values it. And he wants to reward it. Now that's not to encourage pride or arrogance. It's not to say, oh well, as if we have accomplished something so we can build ourselves up. Not at all. In Revelation 4, the elders, they don't stand and admire the crowns that are on their head. Instead, they fall down in worship and they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. All the glory belongs to Jesus. But the reward that God will give, the crown that God will give, will in some way enable us to worship the Lord, to honour the Lord in a greater way. And that is the ultimate reward that we have, isn't it? There's no higher reward than to be able to bring glory to our Lord and Saviour. So this teaching on crowns does encourage us that despite how tough it is to lead others, how heartbreaking it is at times, it's always worth it. Yes, there is struggle now, there is suffering now, there is sacrifice now, but there is eternal glory to come. Just as there was with Jesus. Next week we're going to get back to Hebrews. And in Hebrews we read about Jesus as the one who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So this is the kind of leaders that we need. And this is the kind of leadership that we all need to show in different aspects of our lives. Not like Elon Musk and that kind of brand, but we are called to lead willingly, and selflessly, and humbly, and joyfully in all the different areas of our lives because we are called to lead like Jesus.